Ja on record three. There have been leaders in the ANC who stepped aside long time ago, even before there was a guideline. John mm. Block is a good example. Who did step aside when there was no resolution? He was engaged by the leadership. He accepted to step aside. But the reality is that the new breed of members we have now no, no longer accept the guidance of the leadership. Hello and welcome to Politricking with T.D. Madia. My name is T.D. Madia. This is episode 6 of season 2 of a politics podcast brought to you by Eyewitness News. So this week, the big talking point was coalitions. Again, yeah. The metros in Gauteng are generally up in arms, so they form part and parcel of the narrative in the media space. I think citizens, residents, are talking about what's happening in the metros a lot. The residents in Ikurlina are incredibly unhappy. So Tanya Campbell, if you remember her, removed in October, let me inform you, was reinstated this week. Tanya Campbell beat out Jongizizwe Labati. Jongizizwe Labati is the deputy to Mzwandile Masina. Speaking of who, Mzwandile Masina that is, I want to focus a little bit on Zwaizwai and the fact that a lot of people are actually blaming this outcome on Zwaizwai. If you listen to the radio, you might have caught me saying this motion that was put forward in October by the ANC Nukurleni was not sanctioned. You would have heard me saying that that particular motion, there was an instruction from the ANC in Gauteng to the ANC in Kurulini to withdraw the motion. So the motion succeeds and then they all get excited. But the problem is, if a motion like this succeeds, you must have all your ducks in a damn row, man. They didn't have their ducks in a row. There was nothing that was aligned. If your damn ducks are not in a row, then what are you doing? So do you understand what I'm trying to say? That even the ANC felt that the motion was premature because no agreement was cast in stone at the time. And proof to that is how it's fallen apart so spectacularly with Tanya Campbell being reinstated this week. So people are blaming Muzwandi Masina. They say he put his personal interests, his bid to become Treasurer General of the ANC and attempt to remain relevant ahead of negotiations that were meant to take power back, at least for the ANC, from Johannesburg, Mughala City, Ekuruleni and Tswani. Now the entire thing has fallen apart and the EFS previous threat that whatever happens in Ekuruleni will happen in Joburg seems more truer today than ever before. I've been saying to people, Dr. Mpopalatze can relax, she can sit pretty. That is her city. I'm not sure what the ANC can take back to the EFF at the last minute to try and salvage the situation. I saw a media briefing at some point during the week when Mzwandile Masina was attempting to speak about the issue, saying, yeah, you know, we don't negotiate over metros. Uh, the EFF is not, is not, is not a friend. They are opponents. But Zwai, all you need to do is study Zwai's expression. Like, that's a person who knows he's messed up. That's a person who's lost his cool. That's a person whose play did not connect. It is unfortunate that I'm speaking about it in those terms because you almost think these things are happening away from us as residents. Mm. No, they're not. As this is playing itself out, refuse is not being collected in Ikuruleni. As it's playing out, I live there. Our streets are riddled with potholes. There are more potholes than there are roads in Ikuruleni. There's a problem with the delivery of basic services. It is incredibly infuriating watching the political football that's taking place. And on our cities, eh? They're playing with our cities. But I always go back to who's to blame? How did we get here? And it is that stay away, guys. It is us who decided that it's not worth voting. And I also don't blame you, mind you. I don't blame people who don't vote. I always vote. I don't play around with that. My vote matters. But I understand why people don't. It's not that you're disengaged. It's that there's also nothing interesting on offer. But when you're facing boring options versus this constant chaos where they don't know how to manage coalitions well to our detriment, then what does one do? I think there is a conversation we need to have as a country about voter participation. How do we participate in our democracy? It's not the politicians' democracy. Damn them. It's ours. But we're not participating. We've checked out. So there is a conversation there that I think 
must happen to a greater extent. Our involvement is required. I'm going to move away from that for a little bit. I'm going to talk about the ANC. I talk about the ANC a heck of a lot. Sometimes I think the ANC preoccupies too much of my time, but also tells you how big the organization is. It also tells you how much of South African life it dominates with whatever skirmishes and shenanigans, whatever happenings are taking place in the governing party. So nominations are finally closed. <laughs> Yay! Hufedile. Nominations are finally over. So that process closes. By the weekend of the 11th of November, they'll start consolidating those nominations. And then you start seeing what is it that the NC branches want. So to make it onto the ballot, the top contenders obviously are the ones who make it onto the ballot. You need at least three solid provinces, right? The NC counts 12 provinces. So the nine provinces plus the three leagues. So the leagues, the Veterans League, the Women's League, and the Youth League, which are disbanded. So they're not necessarily going to this conference in the glory we've seen them as in the past it's a much more reduced force that these ones will be taken to conference it is the executives that will really participate so those numbers will give a view as to what happens this week we saw the nc youth league putting forward dr william keezer's name as who it wants to see taking the party beyond 2022 the strange thing for me about the people they were electing like the palma chatiles the non-volas is where are the young people? Is that it? Because I kept thinking, but they must have people amongst themselves that they think are important. They did put up their own names for additionals, so I'll give them that. I'll say kudos there. But I think that even with the top leadership of the organization, Estan Matabata must beat out to David Masondo. Are y'all serious? How long should old people lead you in a country so youthful, on a continent so darn youthful, why are you continuously caught up in the squabbles of the elders? I won't even speak about what the Veterans League wants or what the Women's League wants because all of these structures have a nostalgia and a wish to tap back into the past. That's not happening. And if the NC doesn't pay attention to that and maybe rejig itself, it will definitely pay the price in 2024. And maybe that's what the country deserves, right? An NC that's punished. I'm not against that. I think South Africa just deserves better. I don't know who better is. I just know that the status quo is not working. And if whatever decisions they make today are going to lead to a change tomorrow, for a better tomorrow, our, I'm down for that. Definitely down for that. This week, I speak to the ANC's NEC member, Justice Minister, young Justice Minister, Ronald Lamola. I'm not here petitioning for Ronald, but one would imagine that his name would find better expression because he's young. But somebody made an argument the other day that he doesn't have a solid program. He can't fully explain why him. And that's why it's hard. If you can't capture the imagination of people around you, then why the hell do you deserve their votes? suppose that's what's playing itself out. But you do need younger people in the ANC to come to the fore. I think that is a legitimate argument. That is an argument that Ronald Lamola holds quite dearly. We chat this week about the Guptas. He says, I, because I asked him about Palapalamos, and he says that I did not listen to the president give a thorough explanation of what happened with the Palapala saga. We spoke about the ANC. We spoke about leadership. We also spoke about the time he made a play to become the ANC Youth League's president. A dream deferred it was, huh? Here's the conversation. So we are fast moving the, towards the ANC's national conference in December. Remember, the governing party goes to an elective conference. It will elect new leaders. It will review some of its policies and take positions. Remember in July, they had a policy conference. There are proposals towards amendments. So it will come back and look at those. It will adopt some resolutions. And this will be part of its position as it heads towards 2024 and its offering really when you think about the manifesto that we put before the citizens in 2024 part of that vision will come from what happens in december including the leadership collective that we that will be put forward right that will be put forward in 2024 what's been interesting this year has been the number of people who have put their hands up for the positions of deputy president, the positions of secretary general. And I think by and large, the issue of succession in any party lies in how the engine operates. That's the secretary general's office. And then as well, the deputy president's position. So I don't 
think it's necessarily a rule on paper, but there is an understanding, historically speaking, in the ANC, that the deputy tends to, you know, ascend towards a presidential position. So therein lies the key to the succession debate in the ANC. You've heard many, many names, I'm sure. You've heard of Paul Mashatile, Mamoloko Kubai. You've heard of Oscar Mabuyani. You've heard... A lot, a lot of names, but I'm sure you've also heard of the name of Ronald Lamola. He joins us this week on the podcast to speak a little bit about that campaign. Ronald, with a radio voice. Let's hear your radio voice. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) Sidi. He says that's a radio voice. Thank you so much for joining us. Ronald, um, I actually heard an interview of yours, and it's a question that I keep playing over and over in my head. You're an SAFM, and one of the questions the host asked you, Eldon Sampia asked you, why you? And I couldn't figure out what the answer was. But when it comes to the issue of being the deputy president of a governing party, the question of why Ronald Lamola does matter. So today I ask you, after I'm sure you've met with a lot of people, they've spoken to you about why you, you've had maybe more time to think about it. Why would Ronald Lamola be suitable to become the ANC's next deputy president? Yeah, Tzidi, thank you. Um, and thank you for, for that question. I, 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 I'm currently serving as a minister in the current government. And um, I was assigned to rebuild the institutions that encourage our democracy. The institution on the NPA the Department of Correctional Services. And I do believe that um, I have succeeded in rebuilding the NPA and um, helping in terms of laying the foundation to help uh, for them to do their job in line with the NPA Act, in line with the, with the constitution of the country, to prosecute without fear or favor, provide the support that they needed. Also provided the support to the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture, which is at the core of the renewal of the country. And um, with correctional services, we have also succeeded to reset the button in terms of correctional services operating on the entrepreneurial uh, position of uh, being self-sustainable in terms of the Correctional Services Act. As um, provided for across the country, inmates are able to uh, produce um, uh, for their own self. We have increased the capacity of the farms. Um, moving away from the, uh, the period or breaking away from the Bosasa period, which I believe is a huge uh, leap uh, frog by that department, which um, we, we initiated. And we can now safely say they are now on a self-sustainability path as a, as an institution. And those are the attributes I bring, rebuilding of institutions which I've done, which is in government and also in the ANC to help with the modernization uh, project of the, of the organization to continue with the renewal journey that the ANC started in, um, in the last uh, NASRAQ um, uh, conference. And um, that obviously depends also uh, on the way we can then um, mobilize uh, each other and they coerce uh, and coalesce the membership into a particular vision, which will obviously um, emerge from that conference to conclude the project of renewal started in, um, in Nazareth. And obviously with the modernization of the organization, which um, does need a lot of uh, work to modernize it into a modern political party responsive and responsible to the current uh, challenges of the country. And uh, with regards to what you have said about the end, obviously uh, it also depends on how a person asks the question. Um, the ANC is um, it's an organization uh, which uh, depends on collective leadership where an individual can say uh, on his own, can really um, carry the organization alone. It continues to be an organization where you need to have the capability to also mobilize. And that's what I believe I bring to help the president to take the organization forward and mobilize everyone towards a common vision in terms of the outcome of the next conference. I want to go into the issue of government. You say you've helped to rebuild, you know, from hollowed out institutions. Many South Africans would argue that it's taken too long and that should we read that as a reflection of what you'll be like as deputy president of the ANC and possibly one in government is that while you say you've had these improvements, you've had these changes to these key institutions, and I think that there is merit. I think some South Africans see where the progress has been made. There is a question about how slow it's been and whether or not that would be a reflection of what you are as a leader in the organization and possibly in government. Yeah, obviously, rebuilding of any institution is no 
can't be a one-day event. It's not an event. It's a process. It takes time. And um, for example, if you have to speak about the, the, the proclamation on the ID, which it was not there, it had to be started from afresh where there was no one in the in that institution today there's more than a um, hundred uh, people working for that institution so a, a building an institution can be an event it can take one day but it's a process that you have to nurture there are various policies in government that you have to navigate in terms of a national treasury in terms of resources in terms of dpsa and in, in terms of uh, getting the human resource themselves and the capable um, uh, and ethical people who will then help to put and also ensure that what uh, has been put as policy becomes reality. And I th do think that we have been lucky when we uh, the, the state was able to get uh, Hamion to lead that uh, rebuilding process of the ID. She did a fantastic job and laid a very good foundation where the current head is now being able to move forward from the foundation that she has laid. Same with the with the correctional services. It um, it is 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 it is almost uh, two years uh, since that process has started, and you can now see the that um, the tide is turning gradually. Even with the NPA, it is beginning to turn, as you have said. But um, as I say, building of any institution it cannot be an event, and um, I do think that the pace and the time. Um, that uh, has taken uh, these institutions to begin to have um, some bit of foundation has been the right time because also when you deal with the law, there can't be shortcuts. You have to ensure that um, everything it complies with the law uh, and then uh, you are able to comply also with the constitution of the country. One of the groups that's coming to South Africa, it almost feels like a carrot you keep dangling, saying that they will one day return to the country and face the multi multitudes of allegations leveled against them. Yes, definitely. They will return to the, to the country. Um, I can't say when, uh, Sidi. Uh, I don't have the date uh, as we speak now. If I tell you a date, I'll be lying. And I can't come to a radio to provide lies. I must give you the reality. The reality is that... Um, the, the South African government, in terms of the extradition treaty that we have with the UAE, our counterparts, has complied as the central authority through the Department of Justice with the treaty requirements of request of an extradition. The process is now in the UAE and the courts of the UAE to process this matter and to take it through so that um, at the end of the day, there is a finding by the court in the UAE as to whether they should be extraditable or not to the Republic of South Africa. But we do believe we've complied with the, the treaty and we've complied with the requirements. So we do have belief that um, at some point a decision will be made for them to come back when the processes of the courts in the UAE and the authorities of the UAE have decided. And we, we are also grateful for the good mutual relations that we enjoy with our counterparts in the UAE. So we do believe that um, they will look at this um, uh, request uh, in light of the extradition agreement that we have complied with. So it's looking positive. I want to, you speak about having contributed to renewal. Um, talk us through how you've contributed as Ronald Lamola to the ANC's renewal as an individual in the collective. What has been your role? Yeah, thanks, Sidi. As I said, it's not really easy to, t to really talk about yourself, but... Um, um, I, I it must be done. Let me quickly interject and say it also has to be done. Part of the NC modernizing has to be looking at the culture of the organization, surely. And when young people want to come to the fore, Ronald, as a young person, one imagines that you break some rules to set in place a new way of doing things. So I, I don't understand how at every turn you're going to tell me about how difficult it is speaking for yourself about how you operate as a collective. Surely part of the responsibility on your shoulders as a young person who thinks he's capable of leading is to break the mold and set new trends and new ways of doing new things in the party. I will not be here at CD doing this interview if I was not prepared to set and break a new mold. Uh, you know, in the ANC, you're not supposed to be doing what we're doing now, campaigning and engaging. Oh, there's on a new electoral committee kind yeah. of gives you a bit so, of leeway. So, 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 so I will not have been here, firstly. But uh, you have engaged with me on several occasions, also campaigning for the Youth League, which was also uh, breaking new grounds even at that point. So that shows that I have always been prepared to break new grounds. And I was among the first who said the issue of leadership must be an open process. It must be engaged transparently without any fear or favor. But that does not uh, take away from the reality that 
it's a new culture. We are not yet used to it. So it's not easy to just talk. That's why I'm saying okay, it's I'm not a, yeah, it doesn't take away from that. But I want to push you a little bit. Let's speak about your contribution to renewal. It doesn't take away from that. Yeah, That's no, fair. Let's yeah, speak about Ronald yeah. and renewal. Yeah, obviously, I participated in the last conference uh, in the project of renewal and um, um, made a lot of contribution with regards to the policies that the ANC has taken and also at the current stage participated in the processes that related to the organizational renewal resolutions um, on dealing um, uh, and capacitating state institutions with regards to um, the corruption and also on dealing and uh, capacitating our own internal processes, which included the Integrity Commission, which included um, our own um, setup in terms of the guidelines of the rules of um, stepping aside for those that um, have been affected or who have been charged and uh, all those processes. So I have um, participated in all that. Obviously, um, it is now a policy position which we had ensured that is implemented both from the National Executive Committee and the National Working Committee in which I serve. There are lots of conversations around Step Aside. It's part and parcel of the renewal project. Um, Was it a mistake for the ANC to amend Step Aside to a point where people facing allegations should not be available, should not be voted for or elected in the Nomination election process of the ANC. Was it a mistake to then say people like Denim Caesar, for instance, can't contest while other people got through the window, people like Mandlam Sibi? And Mandlam Sibi's case is one that people make an example of that when you shut the door completely, when you shut someone out completely, you make an error that one day they might be vindicated and you would have completely destroyed their political careers. Was it a mistake to amend Step Aside? See, the any law um, develops with time. Even when you look at countries like um, any society, that's why we have got something called precedence, is that you may not be able to have a law that can cover everything. It's for the courts and the processes, as and when cases come, the courts are able to develop the law to also respond to the changing conditions and also to... The, 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 to suit the situation that is there. But obviously, the law must be predictable. This step-aside resolution, if you remember, um, it was first initiated in Mangaung, where the ANC came, came together with a decade of Akeda organizational renewal and came with a resolution that says a member who has been charged or has there's something that may bring the organization into disrepute must be uh, must uh, step aside but there were no mechanisms to implement it up until the Nazareth conference beyond the Nazareth conference there were also no mechanisms to implement it that's why even when you remember our first guidelines on step aside we were we said it's a working document mm. the reason we said it's a working document is because we appreciated and understood that we will continue to develop the guideline as and when there are lived experiences. And the lived, one of the lived experiences was the, was the Manjam CB experience. It yeah. was a lived experience that um, here is a situation, someone has stepped aside, but the person is allowed to, to, to stand. What should be the situation? Hence, the NEC has to say, no, there must be a clear position. And for me, that was not a mistake because it is a, it is a development of the guideline that is evolving. And that is something which we appreciated and understood even from the onset. Even we can look at the at the press briefings or even the press release on the first time when we released the guidelines. It was said in by the by, by, by the ANC itself that this is a working document. So we will continue to improve these guidelines. Even now, beyond December, there could be new developments and many other evolving issues that may need us to develop these guidelines. And obviously, as you develop them. There might be someone who says, no, it looks like this is targeting me. Mm. But in any country, I mean, when you look at the Concord rulings and so forth, it does bring some predictability. It does bring some uh, direction of where the country is going. But the reality is that the precedent that is set then helps to provide that uh, predictability. What do you say to your comrades who are headed towards December with a plan in mind to have Step Aside completely removed, who say that when they leave December, the NC must turn its back on this particular resolution? This resolution, CD, um, it that will be a step back. Uh, we will be stepping back and we'll be regressing on our commitment that we've made in Mangao, um, long before even some of us were leaders of the ANC. Mangaung resolved that there must be a resolution dealing 
with someone who brings the organization or who impacts the integrity of the organization in the public eye or in society so that we can bridge um, that gap. So it will be a regression and um, I do think that um, it will also affect our standing in society to be able to reconnect with the trust of society that um, we, we, we really mean what we say if we then uh, uh, go back. What should be happening is to ensure that it is strengthened, it is made in a manner that it is uh, predictable, but it is also applied in a fair, transparent, and uh, and uh, in a manner that uh, does not does not look like it's selective. And lastly, the only sin maybe that this NEC will have committed was to make it have guidelines and to be implemented. Because this has always been a tradition and a culture of the ANC. There have been leaders in the ANC who stepped aside long time ago, even before there was a guideline. John mm. Block is a good example. Who did step aside when there was no resolution? He was engaged by the leadership. He accepted to step aside. But the reality is that the new breed of members we have now no longer accept the guidance of the leadership. Hence, you now need guidelines. You need a resolution. You need clarity and certainty. So that's why this guideline, it is very important. And it is important for the ANC to keep it for its own um, uh, integrity and to restore the confidence of society. I'm glad you spoke about the current cohort of young leaders in the ANC. There seems to be a battle between a generation that you represent and one slightly above you. I'm looking at people like Figil and Balula who seem to think that that generation, if they don't take particular action, they would have lost out completely on an opportunity to lead. They see you sometimes. I'm not quite saying Balula sees you, but there are people of that generation who see someone like you as a threat. What are your observations around your rise? versus the former youth leaguers, those who led you in the youth league structure um, and what they feel they deserve as far as leadership is concerned, as far as government positions are concerned, and obviously access to resources because that also can't be divorced from that conversation from where I stand. Yeah, I'm not a threat to anyone. There are various generations in the ANC and... um, we and wherever I spoke, I'm very clear that I advocate for generational mix. So we can coexist and there is no need for any ger- generational jealousy. We have a platform and we can coexist as various generations in the ANC because the ANC needs all generations. And um, to come to the one speci- specific point, we supported Mbalula in uh, in Mangaung. 2012. 10, years, 10 mm. years ago, I can't remember whether it's 12 or so, but... We supported Comrade Marx and we supported people who came from his generation. When we were the leadership of the Youth League, we did not support ourselves to get in into the NEC. We said former leaders of the Youth League must come into the space and we support them. And we were very clear, vocal. We did our part. But a uh, conference uh, resolved otherwise and uh, the conference said uh, they elected whoever they elected. It was but, great um, at the time. It's, mm. yeah, but it's also a reality that if our generation in the ANC, like myself, do not rise now, in 10 years or 20 years' time, I will be a pensioner myself. The same issue that we are raising that um, we need generational mix, I will no longer be... <laughs> I will be a pensioner myself at that time. So <laughs> the reality is that this generation has to play its role and we do believe that the majority of them of them of the next members of the NEC or even in the top 6 must come from at least a bit younger generations why Ronald and not Paul Mashatil? And I ask that based on what the PECs have pronounced. The PECs are not the branches. This conference is about what branches want. I get that. But PECs have done what is unusual. They've pronounced already. Mpumalanga's backed you already. Um, people are saying Paul seems to have majority of the ground covered. So one would ask why Ronald and not Paul Mashatile, especially when you yourself speak about how the ANC is always at different generations that share leadership positions, that share responsibilities at that role. Then one would ask why are you not spokes? Yeah, unfortunately, I won't be able to answer your question directly. Ah, breaking yeah. the mold. What happened to no, breaking the no, mold no, and doing no, things differently? No, no. Why can't you come out and back yourself at least no. versus another leader of the ANC? Yeah, if you are saying, why Ronald, I answered you. I mean, at the beginning you said, why Ronald, I answered you. But now Why you, Ronald and not somebody older? <coughs> and, let me, and, let me and, phrase uh, it and, that way. And now you want me to do what uh, you have said, the guidelines said we should not do. The negative commentary on the other member that is contesting for the position. 
I'm not gonna comment negatively about uh, Paul Mashadile. Would it be negative? I do. Saying I think why you I, over him would only can only be negative, Ronald. Yeah, obviously. So I'm I, not gonna okay. do that. But um, my view um, is that um, it is important that there must be a transition of leadership in the ANC from the generation that um, led us into freedom, a generation of exile, a generation of Robben Island, and so forth. That uh, played a role, key role, and um, I do believe that. That role that they have played is important. It has laid the foundation for our democracy. We now need a transition beyond the, that generation that we are now saying this is a new generation that has tested and that has lived and existed beyond our democracy. The generation that has worked and participated um, as professionals, lawyers in some of the platforms, as economists in a new democracy, as engineers in a new democracy, as a journalist like yourself in this democracy. This is the generation that I believe has now the, the, the opportunity to rebuild this country and renew it in terms of policies, in terms of work, because you have on a day-to-day -day basis now understand this environment of our country, um, particularly with the constitution that is beginning to mature. Now we've been 30 years into this democracy. I do believe that that is a generation that has now to be given that opportunity to do so. And obviously that opportunity will never be handed over uh, unless... You want me to wait for that handing over like um, the king in England. It will never happen. So the generation must stand up and say, this is our position. This is the situation. And let the structures decide. And um, countrywide, I am, um, I am a bit pleased that uh, across the country, uh, there is no part of the country where you will not find uh, the name of Ronald Lamula being nominated. Anywhere in the country, you will find from Messina to to, to Cape Town, from Cape Town to Guamla Wialingana, from Guamla Wialingana to Mafiki. I don't know why you had to put up a fight because you could have simply said all of this, that the generation must just rise and take its position. It wasn't about negatively campaigning anybody. No, it was. It was no, it about. Was that is Ronald. how the position, the, it, the question was It's also about understanding the environment, which is what you yeah, said. That is you what, have a generation that, that, that understands how, the environment now. That is how now. the question was put. Tell me about the leadership that you want to see come out in December. Obviously, you want to be a part of it. But what kind of leadership then needs to come out of the ANC that will speak to the environment, that will speak to the electorate as you head towards 2024? Now, I do think that, um, as I said earlier on, there must be generational mix in that top six, which at least has a reflection of a more younger generation in the majority. But I also do think that the current president should continue to be the president of the ANC to help with the transition. Um, to this uh, younger generation. And uh, I do believe that there could be some few very senior and um, experienced comrades that could still remain to guide uh, this process. I, as for example, my, I myself have benefited a lot from some of the most experienced comrades, both in cabinet and in the ANC. So I do think that they still value, but the point is that they can be a majority. They should be that... Um, uh, 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 at least dominance of the of the younger generation. So that is what I expect, and I hope from what I see with the current nominations across the country, I do think that the younger comrades in the ANC have uh, taken it upon themselves to ensure that that becomes a product. Mbalula said to me when we sat down that what's happening with the current president, this is now around the Palapala farm saga, is not unique, that ANC... <clears throat> generally has presidents who have scandals that come whilst in office. But he then positions that to purely being about the election that's coming up per se and that you must allow processes to take place and that the president will rely on his conscience if he's done something wrong to move away from the position. What is your reading of the Palapala theft saga? Um, I keep saying that I feel the president undermines the citizens because we still don't know what happened. He hasn't taken us into his confidence. Former ANC leaders, at least former Deputy President Khalima Mutlante, has said to me, the president has to take the nation into his confidence. Where do you stand and what is your understanding of what's unfolding, the political ramifications of it, and obviously the issue around morality and ethics of a man who serves at the behest of the citizens? Yeah, maybe, CD, you were not listening. The last uh, questions and answer sessions in parliament, the president did take the nation into confidence. He did say uh, what happened. He did speak about the issues. And he said, here are the limitations where I cannot go. If you can go back to that clip and play it for the listeners, you will hear that he did 
take the country into confidence. Actually, so he, he wasn't did, satisfied, but okay, continue. So, yeah, maybe that could be the subjective issue. But indeed, he did take the country into confidence. And I hope that uh, you will play the clip for, for, for the listeners to hear the last question and answer session. And he went into detail. Thank you, Honorable Speaker. I have said and admitted that uh, there was a theft at the farm and I reported that to a general of the South African police who later informed me that he's also reported it to another general of the South African police. That matter obviously is under processing within, with, within the police service. They are dealing with it. I deny that there was any form of money laundering. I have said, and and I've said it more publicly, that it was proceeds of sale of game. I have been a cattle farmer and a game farmer for a number of years, a matter that I have disclosed in my disclosures here in Parliament, as well as to the Secretary of the Cabinet. And that is an activity that sometimes results in the sale of cattle, as well as the sale of uh, animals such as buffalo, sable, roan, and what have you. And that is a matter that takes place from time to time, and even recently, we've been able to conclude, my managers have concluded, a process where a parcel of buffalo was also sold. So that, in my view, is not money laundering. It is a process that goes on. As regards to accounting to Parliament, I have said that I'm willing, prepared, and able to subject myself, subject myself to all manner of investigations. We would like to leave this whole matter of the robbery to the due process that must unfold. And I know that there are a number of questions that people have. And I did say in the National Assembly, quite a bit of counsel was passed on to me uh, by a variety of uh, members, some even quoting the Bible and all that. And I did say that whilst the approach and the advice is that allow the due process to, to unfold. He only said there are certain aspects he could not deal with because of the legalities. But that was more detailed, uh, 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 taking into confidence. I do think that uh, we should allow the, the processes, the due processes of the law to take mm -hmm. its course. And um, he has said that he's not going to interfere. We will also not interfere. We will allow the law to take its course. And I think um, that is where we will have to handle the matter as and when there is a clear report because i mean only him and the people who were in present or who participated in this process really know what happened and i think he did try to explain it in parliament but we can only be able to get a, a clarity and a bigger picture when we see the report and the political aspect of it what is your reading of how it's playing itself out in the political uh arena yeah i mean um Obviously, there are those that there is some selective uh, application, which is a distorted uh, reality because there's never been a, selected, uh, a selective application. Uh, everyone, even uh, anyone that has steps aside, for example, there's been reports. There has been, they, they went through the integrity commission or they stepped aside voluntarily. There was some kind of report. In this case, we don't have uh, a report he did take us into confidence in Parliament, as I said, and says these are the issues that happened, and he still believes that um, um, that process should be allowed to take its due course. So I do think that that is what we should um, allow to, to take its uh, due course. And I do get the, 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 the pressure 
end the stress in society because for any sitting president to have this kind of a challenge, it will definitely affect the the mood in society and brings uncertainty. But I do believe that as and when we get the report, it will clear uh, the situation. ANC members who express a frustration on not finding or hearing of a report from the Integrity Committee, yes, committee, within the ANC, when they come out and say that they believe that the report is being squashed, that they're buying time for the president, that there's something nefarious around not having a palapala report at the ANC or otherwise, are they lying to us as the public? Are they, is there a hidden agenda there? Is there no truth to what they're saying? Yeah, I don't know because... I've, as we have said, we have not yet received the report. So I don't know whether there, this... Their belief that it's been squashed, that it's been held back, that it's taking too long to come to the surface, even within the NEC. No, there's no such a thing. There have been many reports that have uh, taken some time up until they come to the NEC. I, there's a lot of reports that the Integrity Commission deals with them. And uh, they also take some time to, to sometimes to bring them because of various challenges um, uh, and also uh, the logistics of uh, sittings and hearings and all that. So it is not like it's the first report um, uh, where you are saying it's taking too long. In fact, if you look by the previous standards, you might find that this is not yet a, a long period of time. So there's nothing untoward from where you stand. Um, yeah, there's nothing that has come to us that is untoward. And then just speaking about becoming deputy president of the ANC, if you emerge victorious, what does that mean for you? Do you automatically see yourself moving into that position in government? Have you thought about it? Have people spoken to you about that? No, I have no intention, nor will I want that to happen. I think we have to wait for the national elections in 2024. And um, I believe that the current deputy president should continue to be the deputy president of the country if um, he's still there and still uh, working. So I have no intention of uh, uh, moving to that position uh, <laughs> of a deputy president in the country. I do believe that we'll have to work and uh, campaign for the 2024 elections and uh, uh, live with whatever is going to happen in 2024. The responsibilities of a deputy president of the ANC is the deployment committee, which has come under fire at the State Capture Commission. There is also issues around government business, but also the issues of ESCOM have often been put at the hands of the deputy president. Have you had thoughts about if it was you in that position, these particular sticky issues, how would you navigate them, specifically the ANC Deployment Committee, if it was Ronald, and also the issues of energy that continue to plague South Africa and are affecting the economy so adversely? Yeah, obviously the issues of energy are the one of the deputy president of the country. But with the deputy president of the of the ANC, my view is clear: is um, that the OECD does acknowledge that any ruling or governing party has to deploy its most capable cadres. Deployment happens across the globe. In the US, when new government comes in, they deploy their own cadres. There is no issue about that in Great Britain, even in the most developed democracies. So the issue is that we'll just have to ensure that as we move forward, we have to put it in a manner that um, um, it's, it's in compliance with the constitution of the ANC and that of the country. Two, we deploy the most competent and capable people, even those that are not members of the ANC, because the deployment uh, committee role is not only just to deploy members of the ANC, it's to deploy the most capable person in society for that particular role. So I do think that deployment uh, uh, committee and the policy uh, is still important, is still relevant, and it happens in any democracy. The application could have been the challenge, as we have seen from the Zondo Commission with some of the appointments that we have made in the past that uh, led us to where we are in terms of state capture. But deployment properly applied um, can also save good to society. There is a picture of you sitting on green chairs in 2015 that was taken by Felix Langamanza at the ANC Youth League Conference in 2015. Um, I always think about that particular moment. And I don't know if you remember, there was a conversation you had with Matlati and I that no, the evening before that picture was taken. Do you often reflect on who you were then versus who you are now? And what goes through your mind about your growth in the organization? And I want to remind you of how heartbroken you were and how you said to us, <laughs> 
I'm going back to Mpumalang. I'm going to go practice law. I'm done with this. It's over for me. Do you often reflect back on how far you've come and how you'd close the door really on leadership, at least for half a second, when you're heartbroken and not making it to become, well, it was it was the threshold, right? It was oh, your, your name came up on the floor. It was meeting threshold in order to be on the ballot for NC Youth League president. Um, what are your thoughts when you look back at your journey? Yeah, obviously, TD, the the biggest regret uh, for me or for any member who has ever been a leader of the youth league, if you had an opportunity, um, for me was not to be the president of the youth league. I think for me that is a very big, uh, biggest regret. And uh, obviously, it is um, the youth league is a very prestigious organization. If you have grown up in it, it's um, it's an institution that you have proud to have been part of it, and you will want to see it thrive, survive, and continue to be a, an organization that produces um, a vibrant uh, young leaders for for the ANC. But um, and what I said there, obviously, I meant that um, I'm done with the youth league. You will remember, I was, I was still, I still had uh, many years in the youth league at the time. So, mm. but I decided at that time that it's done. I must accept um, that the decision has been made, despite um, whatever challenges that were there. And you will remember, I also did not go to court because I felt that uh, the members of the youth league have accepted the outcomes, despite um, all the issues that were there. Yes, uh, it was the most uh, painful period of my uh, um, uh, struggle or participatory (laughs) life, (laughs) but I accepted it and um, moved on. And I do reflect on it. Yes, it was a moment, but I do think that um, just in the mood of um, Deng Jinping in China, who was also exiled to some rural areas by the then leader of the Chinese uh, Communist Party, uh, Mao Zedong, it gave him a moment of reflection. I also saw and learned things differently when I was outside. When I was in practice, I also gained good experience in practicing law but also could see from a different angle, which I do think has helped me to shape me as a person, but also as a, as a, as a, as a revolutionary, and also um, as a now an activist and a government uh, uh, minister, I have got a good angle, a 360 degrees view of, um, of society, from an activist, from a practitioner, from an entrepreneur, and uh, from a, a, a now as a government uh, person. There are people who are by your side in your rise in 2017. I remember getting a lot of calls about a pe- from people in the NC who were excited about seeing your comeback into active politics and particularly with the NEC in mind and the future in mind. When I have conversations with those same, very same people, they have written you off. They speak about how they feel you abandoned the ANC when you went into government. They feel your focus was no longer the same, that you became unrelatable to them. What do you then say to that when people who were young, who looked up to you just around five years ago, now have a completely different idea of who Ronald is, call you detached and say that they can't support you in good conscience because you're not that same guy. What do you then say to people like that? You will also be shocked if I'm still the same guy. There's no way you can go <laughs> Fair enough, into, we must evolve. There is no way you can go into government uh, and not um, <laughs> have the learnings of that space. The reality is that I have learned. I can. I can. Um, I can see the, and I think I have developed with the with the various um, information that comes uh, before me, uh, and um, the reality is that um, you spend almost uh, seventy or ninety percent of your time in government, and if I don't do my job, I will also be said that no, he's incompetent. He's not doing his job. <laughs> he's, we absolutely he's, will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. Um, I can account for my job as I have accounted here. I was at a gender summit. I could account for the three GBV bills that um, I was assigned to attend to, which the president said I must do, which the ANC said I must do. I can account for the modernization and the processes we have taken in the courts to make them victim-friendly and centric across the country. I can also account for my role in the ANC with regards to the land um, policy and discussion. We now have the expropriation bill that has been passed uh, by the National Assembly going to the NCOP. We now have um, uh, the land court uh, bill, which I was mandated by the ANC. 
We now, as we speak, have um, government distributed about 700,000 hectares of land countrywide. So that is my role as, an, as, as a member of the NEC and also as a government minister that I must be measured against. Are you worried about what happens in 2024 if coalitions become the conversation? Are you worried about what some of the younger members of the NEC, you said they need guidance. Are you worried about what they will do? There are people who are seen to be more amenable to parties like the EFF than others. Are you worried that they will get into pacts just because they want to remain at the trough, access to resources. Do you have those concerns? No, I'm not. I do think that um, our policy will guide us um, as and when we reach that stage. But I do believe that we need to stand tall and uh, do what we are supposed to do as a revolutionary organization at that moment. And uh, I think that we'll be able to confront that situation. When they call you Bruno Mtolo of modern day politics, it's Julius Malema. I often watch you guys. I remember the JC interviews where sometimes you get glimmers of who you were in your youth league days. Now you're adults with great responsibilities. But every now and again in your spats, you go back to your youthful days, your more youthful days. Um, help me understand that relationship as we speak now, how do you relate to one another as former comrades, but now also leaders in different political parties who command some respect and authority in the political space today? Yeah, no, I do think that um, 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 I, I continued to, with the program of action of the Youth League of the 2011 uh, conference, even on the land question. We, if you remember, CD, our resolution on nationalization was on them, was on them, on the nationalization of mines. It was not on nationalization of land. The EFF's position on expropriation without compensation is the nationalization of all land of the country, which will completely disseminate what is currently the ANC position, which the ANC's position relates that to ownership, individuals must be allowed to own land through what is called title deeds, and um, the state must continue to own land uh, for its own use or to lease it, and also through communal um, land ownership where we must provide the security of tenure. With the EFF position, none of that will happen. It means that you are just going to give a lease to all South African citizens. That is not has not been the position of the Youth League, has never been the position of the ANC. So I have never deviated from the ANC position. Even the Freedom Charter is very clear. The land must be shared among those who work it. So... The ANC's position is the mixture of land ownership. So there is no, um, um, with ourselves as in terms of the relationship, we are still fine, we relate well, but we also understand that we have got our revolutionary duty in our own political parties to advance the views and policy positions of our political party. I have a duty to defend and deepen the policy positions of the ANC, and I continue to do it. All right, I'm going to cut it right there. Thank you so much. That's Ronald Lamola, ANC NEC member. You can also call him the Minister of Justice. But in this case, we're speaking to him about the ANC conference that is going to get underway in a few weeks' time. Thank you. That's it from us. Catch us again and next week. This podcast was produced by Dudu Zile Masuku and Amu Ramela. For Eyewitness News, my name is Tidi Madia.